I was interviewed this morning by a police officer, um, which doesn't happen every Sunday morning in my life. And uh, while uh, being interviewed, um, she asked me what I did for uh, an occupation, which is always a bit of a... Uh, one of those kind of conversation stoppers I usually find. So I said to her that I um, was a Christian minister and she carried on interviewing me, etc., etc. And, and then she stopped and she looked at me and she said, um, does something like this, when it happens to you, does it, does it affect you? Does it affect your faith and your believing God? And I thought, this is a very strange interview. <laughs> and she's writing down all the answers. So I said, are you going to keep on writing? She said, oh yes, it's all very important. I said, okay, well, Jesus said... <laughs> The thief will come in and steal and don't put your heart into things and treasure in things that will be temporary, but put your hopes in heaven where thieves cannot come. And she kind of looked at me as if I was giving her a, a kind of police lecture she never actually had heard before <laughs> that was helpful. So it's been a bizarre night for us. We didn't get a lot of sleep, etc. but here we are today and it's wonderful. It was like, I've had a great weekend, I had two days with the, your elders here, which is wonderful, and then spoke last night to the academy uh, guys, and then I went and watched the rugby, and it was kind of downhill from there onwards. <laughs> That's what happens in life, so there we are. Uh, it's great to be back here with you again, and uh, to see you all, and hopefully this morning I'd love to just communicate something to you, which is of a subject that many of you might have heard things said about before, but I uh, absolutely believe God wants to speak to us today. And he wants to remind us of some of these things and really affect us. My understanding is you've started a series uh, based in Nehemiah called Grand Designs, which is all about what shapes our lives. So each week we're looking at different areas that should shape us as those who are believers, those who are Christians. And um, I, I felt really I would like to share something, I'd make a contribution into this series, but not from Nehemiah and talk about something that really does shape our life, all of us. And it has to do with people. That's where I'd like to start. All of us are, are um, affected by other people, uh, who they are and what they do and how they affect our lives. We all today have backgrounds, and our backgrounds have been shaped by all sorts of things that happen in our lives. That's the grand design. And our lives have also been shaped by the people who have come into our lives and affected our lives. Uh, our parents, whether you like it or not, um, have shaped you in the way that you are, in the way that you think. And then various people, I can think in my life, I've, been, I've got quite a long life now, so I can look back and look at various people that have come into my life and shaped me. I've kind of followed people um, because I felt there's something in them that's that's worth uh, pursuing. And as Christians, we are following people, hopefully the right ones and not the wrong ones. Paul says this in Galatians. It's an amazing statement. He says to these early Christians, you were running really well. Who cut in on you? Not what, but who? In other words, you were doing really great, but you followed some people and they shaped you and they affected you in a way that's not been healthy for you. You were running well and now suddenly you don't seem to be running well. Who has cut in on you? And I would like to ask that question for you today. Who are you running with? Who are you affected by? 
Uh, I can remember as a, uh, at school when I used to do cross-country running, which I absolutely hated. It's a long story about how I got into the cross-country team, but suffice it to say, it was a mistake and I shouldn't have been there. <laughs> I, I didn't like it. It was just awful. Um, and I found a pack of guys like me. And uh, whenever we ran, we packed into the middle of this race and didn't bother about who won and who didn't. And we were apathetic. We were not running to win the race. We affected one another. Who you run with affects you. It shapes you. People shape us. Leaders shape us. They have an impact upon our lives. It's part of the grand design. We are shaped by people. There's one person that really has the power and the ability to shape us like no other. It's not a personality, it's not a leader, it's Jesus. And if the grand design is being shaped by people, surely he is the one who should shape us more than any others. I've got great Christian friends, godly men and women that I look up to, they have a massive impact upon my life, but they're not going to be here forever. And they're not going to be able to shape me forever. And they're not perfect and they make mistakes. Jesus bursts onto the scene in our lives. And he is perfect. And he has a grand design for all of our lives. And we are to follow him. The big thing I want to talk about this morning, I think will help us in this, is to understand who he is. Who is this Jesus that we are following. If you are here today and you're not a Christian, I hope what I share with you will be really helpful because you may be seeking and wondering about, well, if I became a Christian, I have to know who Jesus is, and I hope this will help for you. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's a strange thing. I think we need constant revelation of the one that we are following. We can tick certain boxes. If I asked you questions, who is Jesus? You could tick those boxes. But who is he really? Who is, if I'm going to follow someone who's going to shape my life, then I want to be absolutely certain of the one that I am following. Do you really believe and know who this Jesus is? Because if you do, I'm hoping by the end of this morning, you'll understand if you really get who he is, it will shape you and it will radically affect you for the rest of your life and your future. If you're in conversation with people and you chat about Jesus, he's quite a topical kind of guy to talk about. Even David Cameron will chip in sometimes about what he thinks about Jesus. Uh, it's not uncool to talk about him. People will say all kinds of different things. Well, I think he was like this, and I think he was like that. Maybe we've got some... So people will say, I think Jesus was a, was a wonderful mystic, or some people will say he was a great revolutionary, he'd have made a great politician. Actually, he wouldn't, because he always spoke the truth. Sometimes people will say of, sometimes people would say of Jesus, in fact a lot of people say, what a good man. I mean, what's your definition of the one you're following? He was a good man. Sometimes people, a lot of people would say, well, I don't know whether I'm going to really throw myself into everything that Jesus said, but he was a good moral teacher, hence my conversation with my police officer this morning good morals, good moral teacher, got good wise things to say. Perhaps many people will say, I think he was a prophet. That's it, defined. That's the one we're following, we're following a prophet. Do you know there are so many prophets throughout history and to the modern day. If Jesus was just another prophet, I'd say, take your pick. 
You know, you have that one, that one, Jesus, it doesn't really matter. A lot of people would say, well, I, I know that Jesus lived and he walked on this earth. My definition of him is that he was a, some of these things, but I know that he is a, an historical figure. 2,000 years ago, what on earth has that got to do with me in the 21st century? He is dead like everybody else. Don't know whether you've ever seen um, or been to a party or whatever and played the game where you put a sticker on someone's forehead with the name of someone and you have to go around the room finding out who you are because you can't see and you ask questions. So, you know, Winston Churchill, you ask questions, am I a woman, am I this or that, until you discover. And a friend of mine, she's Chinese, a girl in our church, she said she went to one of these parties and uh, one of the people had Jesus written uh, on the sticker of, of his forehead and he was going around asking questions. Um, and, and, you know, the thing. And she was just in earshot and this person said to someone else, am I alive? And uh, the person said, uh, no, you're dead. To which the Chinese said, no, 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 you're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> and they got into this massive conversation. This other person said, of course he's dead. Said, no, 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 he's alive. So your view of Jesus and who he is really does shape your life. Now here's the thing. Jesus spoke about himself. He made statements about who he is. Clearly. And can I just, just drop you a hint? All the things I've just mentioned that people say of him, he never claimed to be any of those. He never said I was a prophet. He never said I was a good man or a moral teacher. And he was so clear about what he said. And the Gospels, which were people who tangibly, literally, were with him and touched him, they also make the most wonderful, clear statements about who this Jesus is. This is what Jesus said. He said, I am the Son of God. And you may not know it, even if it's a Christian, the one you are following is no other than God, the Son. And if you really believe that, your life will be massively affected. He said it with no doubt and with no hesitation. Who he was, why he came, and how that, that would affect our lives was clearly stated by Jesus and recorded by the Gospels. So how come... There's so much confusion. How come there's even confusion in Christian circles about who this Jesus is? I think the answer is this. We actually don't really believe it. What seems to happen is when we believe in the revelation and the truth of who Jesus said he was, not what I think, you think, or even what I would prefer. Some of us kind of read back into the scripture and like Jesus to be like this. And we like him when he's all nice and cuddly, not so sure when he talks about things like judgment. So we conjure up and we produce, we make Jesus in our image. And he becomes like an idol that's a wrong idol. Whereas he is clear and states what he is. So the confusion is a matter of disbelief. I need to believe in this revelation of Jesus and have a relationship with him. There's a final thing in this introduction. Did you know it's still the introduction? Is that, is that Jesus on one occasion took people on the journey just as we're doing right now this morning. He said, who do people say that I am? 
His disciples will say, some say you're like Elijah, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say you're like this or you're like this. They all have opinions like loads of people do today. Then he looks at them in the eye and says, who do you say that I am? And the answer comes, you are the Christ, which means you are the Messiah, which means that you are the anointed one, which means you are the one we're looking for, which means you are God, the Son made manifest in the earth. It's an amazing statement. That's the clarity that you get, and it has radical repercussions. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn quickly to John chapter 1. And what I'd like to do for the rest of the morning is just try and unpackage for you uh, some of this revelation that we need of who he is. And I'm going to leave no stone unturned. I'm looking at you and I'm thinking you're quite a bright, intelligent bunch of people, mostly. And, uh, <laughs> well, I've got, I've got Dan in the front row, so... Um, and I'm thinking, I was quite, not quite sure, but I'm going to take you on a wee bit of a theological journey. So I know it's Sunday morning, but I want to stretch you a little bit today to really grasp it. The aim is not to just be theologically correct. The aim is to get to grips with who this Jesus is and then to really plunge ourselves into being his followers. Incidentally, a Christian, I, I've, I've felt this more and more in my Christian life uh, as life's gone on, is not just somebody who's said, yes, I believe that you're my saviour. That's the first part of the track. But a Christian is a follower of Jesus. Do you get that? It's not just somebody that's made a decision or, or just has a belief system. We are followers of him. John chapter 1 and, and verse 1, just read verses, the first three verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. Through him, we had a verse read to us in worship, very similar to this. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now, it's speaking about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Word. I'm going to say three things about this. The first is this. The revelation is that Jesus, the Word, is God. In the beginning... Where have you heard that verse, that phrase before? Please shout it out. Genesis. Well done. Genesis, first statement in the Bible. In the beginning, God. It's no coincidence the Holy Spirit is declaring something to us. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was God. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus is God the Word. And so that's why in creation, look at verse 3 with me, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made. Jesus was there right at the beginning of creation, speaking creation into life. This Jesus who walked on this earth is the same Jesus right at the beginning of time who is God the Son, who is even part of, in the beginning there was, creation. So we read in Genesis, let there be light, and there was light. Spoken words, the power of the word is extraordinary to change situations and bring things to life that are not there and to transform people's lives. Let there be. Just quickly, Jesus the word, what does that mean? Well, there's two, two aspects to this. Jesus the word means that the word speaks. I am speaking to you now in words. These are words that hopefully are communicating 
and you can understand. Sometimes I speak slower because I'm from London and I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. Um, sometimes when I'm in Scotland and I listen to people, I'm tempted to say many times, uh, sorry, can you repeat that, please? Because sometimes it's so different to what I'm used to hearing. But words communicate. So when it says Jesus is the word, it's that Jesus speaks. The second thing is that he reveals. That's what a word does. A word speaks something and a word brings revelation because it communicates something behind the words. Are you still with me? <laughs> no. I, I'm very happy to start all over again. So look enthusiastic if you want me to carry on, okay? One uh, commentator says this. I think found it so helpful. The word, Jesus, listen to this, is God's self-expression. It's, it's an amazing statement, this verse 1, in the beginning was the word, because it's expressing something. Jesus is God's expression to the world. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Can't see God. Jesus comes into the scene, speaks words, brings revelation so that we can know this invisible God. It's amazing that any of us are sitting here today. It's a miracle that any of us are sitting here. Why are we sitting here today? Because we claim that it was a moment in our lives when the word spoke into our hearts and we got revelation of who God is and found him irresistible and found his grace amazing. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his being. It's, it's an amazing statement. This is the Jesus that you and I are following. He is the word that reveals God. If you've still got your Bibles open, John 1 verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Look at that phrase. This Jesus has made him known. Again, another commentator said, and I found it so helpful, he has explained him. You cannot know God on your own. You can see him in creation, you can see him through events, you can read about him in the Bible, you get certain hints. But the only way you can really know him is if he reveals himself to you. I, I've spent years of my life in schools and sixth form colleges and universities arguing with philosophers about this very point where they've said, well, you know, uh, I think this and that, and we're all on a search to discover God. And I said to them, you know, if there is a God, he has to explain himself to us. And can I, I suggest to you that the greatest way he's explained himself to us is through Jesus who came and walked on this earth, displaying to us the very nature of God. This is why this is so important. No Jesus, there will be no word. And with no word, there will be no revelation of who God is. You cannot know God without revelation that comes through Jesus. Still in 1 John, uh, uh, John 1 verse 18, no one has ever seen God. It's kind of like I want to say to people, a bit like an, a very famous old football commentator, well, they have now. 
I kind of want to pause at that moment. No one has ever seen God. Jesus, well, they have now. They're without excuse. Because literally, you are seeing God when you see Jesus. You want to know what God is like? You want to tell your friends? Because a whole load of us here today are going to be in lots of conversations about God. So let's kind of get through all the kind of different arguments and things and get to this. You've got to keep coming back to this because this is what the Bible itself says is how people will know God. No one has ever seen God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God's character is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what the holiness of God is really like, look at Jesus. If you want to be somebody who who really could understand, is God really a God of love? We need to say to people, yes, how do you know? Let's look at Jesus together. His life, his death, the way that he lived, and what he said. If you want to know what real forgiveness looks like in the world today, and we live in a world where there's terrible injustice and lots of reasons to not forgive others, how does it work? If you really want to know how forgiveness can operate and transform your life, let's take a look at Jesus because he's revealing to us what God is really, really like. I think it's quite humbling for a lot of us. I'd like Jesus to be like this. I'd like him to be like that. And then I find that he's not. And I don't have a choice. It's humbling for me to have to humble myself to the revelation of what God is really like through Jesus. I'll believe in God when I see him. People said to Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's no differentiating. And it's so important we see he's the exact representation of this Father. Folks, let me pause for a minute. This is who you're following. We're going to build this up in the next few minutes. This is who you're following. You're not following another kind of half-shadow revelation. This is it. Every one of us who are followers of Jesus, you are following God the Son who reveals God to you. And as Christians, we're still grappling, some of us, with how can I really know God? Can I really trust him? Can I really know him? Can I really give everything? Think of Jesus. Look at Jesus. He's come for this very, he's the self-expression. He's the declaration without any fear that we can go through this. Is that okay? Okay, I'm going to stretch you a little bit more theologically. Go back to verse 1. John 1, John, John 1. I always get those two things confused. Verse 1. In the beginning was the word. We've cracked that one. Every time you look at that now for the rest of your life, you'll instantly understand what it means. And the word was with God. Whoa! That's weird. And the word was God. This is a strange verse. And we need to be stretched a little bit like th- about this because it's important to understand the one we're following. Jesus was the word who was with God. If you look at verse 18 again, it says, He, God, the only one as God, was at the Father's side. Before creation, this word is part of what we know to be the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's ever so important for us as Christians to know we don't believe that because some theologians came along and worked it out. It's there in Scripture. It's there in the Word of God. And verse 1 is a huge verse for us as Christians that keeps us from going into error. Who is God? Who is Jesus? 
Well, he is God, but he was with God because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all expressions of the Godhead. They are equally God. Then it goes on to say that the word was God, separate but equal. Again, verse 18 makes this amazing statement. No one's ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side. So this Jesus that we're following isn't actually just a self-expression of the Father. He himself is God who has come to dwell amongst us, and he is God himself as part of the Trinity. God, Jesus, is God the Son. Verse 18, I've just said it. The God, but God the one and only who's at the Father's side. It's kind of a real challenge. Every error in Christianity down for 2,000 years has started at this point, where it's gone away and it's diminished who the Godhead really is. Every time that happens. So, if you speak to a Jehovah's Witness and you start to talk to them about who they believe Jesus is, they do not believe that he is God the Son. Check this verse out with them, would you please? Go straight to, to this particular verse. Because it's so clear that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. God the Son. So the first thing of this is that Jesus the Word is God. He is the one I'm following. And as I'll show you just in a moment how that is massive in terms of repercussions. Christians sometimes doubt, don't we, about a number of things because of things that happen in our lives. Doubt is not some terrible tragedy. Every Christian doubts about lots of things. Can I just say to you, because of the depth of what we're looking at this morning, please don't doubt this one. You have no reason to doubt this. You may be doubting this or the faithfulness of that or whatever, but let's stand on this ground that this is the one who's revealed himself that we are following. The next thing is this. Jesus the Word became fully human. Look at verse 14 with me, please. And this is perhaps one of the most remarkable verses in the whole of the Bible. The Word, which you now know all about, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. (laughs) This is mind-boggling. The Word, God, who created everything, becomes a full human being. God, listen, we've got to shorten it down. God becomes a human. He becomes a human being. The theologians call this incarnation. The real word in the original language is infleshing. The one who made everything, including flesh, who was above it and beyond it, then comes and becomes the very thing that he has created. The word becomes something that he wasn't. I mean, why is this room so quiet? (laughs) He becomes something that he wasn't. He already existed and now chooses to become a human being. And he does it purely because it's his initiative, it's his choice, it's motivated by his love, 
And the word knows the only way that he can redeem people like you and me is to become like us by taking on all that we have messed up and turning it around. And if I was right now in an African church, I could hardly hear myself speak for all the applause and the hallelujahs. But, but I'm in Scotland. And that's just the way it is. Think about this. I think sometimes this is why I struggle a bit with Christmas. Am I the only one? I kind of like the Christmas story. And yeah, they were, they, well, they weren't actually three kings, but they probably you know, might have been. And there were shepherds and there was a manger and there was straw and blah, 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 blah. And it's all very exciting. The reason I kind of get, they haven't grasped. These are the little incidentals of the story that have actually got nothing to say to us. Knowing there were three kingdoms of shepherds is going to change no one's life. But behind it, and maybe it should be in front of it, it's all about the word became flesh. That's, really, that's the message. I want to get behind all this other stuff and get to that because that's the whole wonder of what it is. The word Jesus became fully human. Now, please, just bear with me. We're nearly through this. But you've got to follow me just carefully now because this is where lots of errors come in. I want you understand where I'm going. I want you to be clear on the one that you're following. The word, listen, without ceasing to be the word, this is even more extraordinary, without ceasing ever to be the word, becomes flesh. When Jesus was born, he was not at that moment part God or part man. He was fully God, and he was absolutely fully man. If you don't believe me, check this out. Colossians 2, verse 9. I don't know how you could say it more clearly. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. There's no doubt who this Jesus is. There's no doubt what he took off in order to become <laughs> But when this Jesus came to earth, he remained fully God and fully man. Listen, Jesus took on full humanity and entered history with all the limitations of a human body. He took on real flesh. This is not cheating, oh well, it was God, you know, it wasn't really. This, he took on real flesh, he became flesh which means that he got weak and he got tired and if he fell over, he cut his knee and he got frustrated with his disciples and he got weary and he wept and, and he just went through all the emotions and what's more, it's amazing, the Bible says he was tempted in all ways, just as you and I, yet without sin. And the reason that the word becoming flesh is so radical for those of us who are following Jesus is quite simply this. He identifies with every single thing that you and I will ever face for the rest of our lives. Isn't that incredible? There is one today in heaven who has gone through everything. There is nothing, there is nothing he cannot identify with. That's the wonder of the word becoming flesh, that he left all of that so that we could know that. I'm not following someone who's cheating on me because he was God all the time. I'm following someone who was 100% human, just like I am, and that fills me with hope 
And it fills me with that I can get over this because he does. I can't do it in my own strength, but if I can do it in his strength, if he lives in me, as he promised he would, then there's hope for all of us. Yet, he never ceased to be the eternal God, the creator, as we heard in the worship, the sustainer of all things. I always think of this. This man walking through this planet, weak and, and, and cut and difficulties, was holding all things together by his word. David, how is that possible? I have no idea. <laughs> and 2,000 years of theological discussion is never going to give you the answer. But we believe. That's what we do. It's faith. We believe that it is true. The two most common errors that people make about Jesus is this. They minimise his humanity or they minimise his divinity. Jesus was 100% human and he was 100% divine. I was in a conference once uh, down in Brighton. It was a leaders' conference, about 5,000 people. And one of the guest speakers that we had, we hadn't got him in to, to, for his theology we got this guy in because he was a man moving in the things of the Spirit and really doing fantastic. And, a, and, and at one part in one of his words, he was standing on the platform. I was sitting in the front row with a whole load of other kind of leaders in the front row, 5,000 people, and he made this statement. Jesus left his divinity in order to become a human and walk amongst us. And such was the intake of the front row the breath that came. He nearly got sucked off the platform. <laughs> because, hallelujah, the front row knows that is error. He didn't leave his divinity. He came as God the Son, the Word revealed. And uh, we gently took this guy aside and told him, do you realise this is what you just said? And kind of a bit naively, he hadn't really fully grasped what he had said at all. And so it's important that we understand that he is 100% human and 100% divine. That's who I'm following. I hope that's who you're following today. It's not, I'm not following because I'm, I'm special and you're not. Absolutely not. It's because of his revelation that I believe in. The invitation for you today, whether you're not a Christian, is to check this Jesus out. Really, check him out. Do Alpha. Come on, talk to people. Because if he, if he really is this, this is the most important thing that anyone could ever face during their life on this planet, this one issue alone. Because if he isn't what we've been saying this morning, then we are all completely without hope. In fact, we're all in our sin and we have no hope. We're still dead. We're still dead in every way. Final thing is this. It then says, I can't leave this, this particular word without ending with this. The word became flesh and, and made his dwelling amongst us. I love the message translation. It says, and the word became flesh and moved into the neighbourhood. I kind of like that. It kind of makes it very earthy. Actually, the original literal phrase is he, which is a difficult thing for us to grasp here, but he tabernacled amongst us. In other words, he, he, it really means he pitched his tent. So the word of God still the word of God, becomes flesh and makes his dwelling amongst us, pitches his tent. And it's interesting because all the Jews who, 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 who heard this phrase, he tabernacled, he pitched his tent amongst us, would immediately have been thinking of the old covenant where the presence and the glory of God filled the tent. It was known as the tent of meeting. Every one of them 
this is how they would translate what, what this verse just says. They were saying, whoa, what you're saying is that God became man and his presence and glory, which from now has been cut off from us because no one can stand in the holiness of God, has come amongst us. The glory that filled the tent is now bodily here amongst us. And notice that, that, that uh, John goes on to say, we have seen his glory. When John could have gone further, he could have said, you know what, there's an occasion, and I was with a couple of mates, and there was Jesus, and we were on the top of the mountain, and before our eyes, the glory of God was manifest at that particular moment. We loved it so much, we wanted to set up a conference centre right there and then, and stay there for the rest of our lives. So what this God coming amongst us and indwelling amongst us is this, that the presence of God has come, and listen, we know that he is alive today. He is risen. That's why Jesus is so relevant. He's here with us. He lives in you and me. He's here when we corporately gather. Therefore, he has made his dwelling amongst his people. The church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. The glory and the presence of God. We don't, want, we don't need to whip up the presence. We don't need to have to kind of make, manufacture something. He's already here. When we welcome him, I understand totally why we do that. It's good to welcome him. Welcome, Holy Spirit, welcome. But there's another dynamic, isn't there? He's already amongst us. He's being, he's, I don't know about you, but he was with me before I came here this morning and with you too. Let me finish with this. Final thing. Jesus, the word, is rejected and he is also received. It says, we haven't got time to go into this now, but he says that, that uh, he came into the world and was born into the world, and yet those, even his own, which means his people Israel, didn't receive him. They rejected him. Creation, mankind, rejected Jesus. Israel officially rejected Jesus. They are still looking for the Messiah who's already come. It's tragic but they did not believe in the, re the revelation that Jesus uh, brought. I was born into this world rejecting this revelation of Jesus. So were you. Why? Well, if you're living in darkness and suddenly a light gets switched on, most of us who like darkness want to cower away from it. No thank you. Or if we're spiritually dead and someone comes along and says, well, I can make you alive, a lot of us think, oh, I would like to make my own self alive, thank you very much, I don't need you to come and do it. There's something built into mankind that rejects this revelation of this God who's come to save us. I spent the best part of 17 years trying my hardest to reject being born in a Christian family. This light, this life, people reject him. People will still reject him. People are rejecting him everywhere. There's no kind of another thing or, or, or another revelation other than this one. This is it. And if you reject him, there's, no, there's nothing else to say. There's no other sort of brackets that says there's another thing you should consider. This is the fullness of what you consider. But the same verses in, in, in John chapter 1 that talk about uh, the fact that, he, that we rejected him, go on to say this, but to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, lots of people believed in Jesus superficially. They saw his miracles, they liked his teaching, 
But they rejected him, why? Because they did not believe that he was God the Son. But to those who believed in the word, the truth, the revelation of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Even that tells me something. Even that says, I don't get to do this myself. If I believe he does something, he gives me the right to be able to say, I am, a ch- I am born of God. He is the one. That, if you can understand this, it's like the word becoming flesh again. It's like the life of Jesus becomes really me. A seed is sown into my life, and I am born of God. These verses just go on to say things like, not of human decision, not of birth, just because you're in a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. This is the miracle, that those who believe, he makes us to be children of God through a miracle which we call the new birth. I um, was uh, a a couple of weeks ago in a curry house um, off Brick Lane in East London, which is... um, very famous for its curry houses. And the reason I was there was I was invited to um, a 40th birthday party um, of uh, a guy called Adrian who had married a girl called Sukhvinda. And um, they are both of them from Indian stock and she is a, from the Sikh religion. We, we just keep on seeing people from Sikh religion coming to know Jesus. And... Um, her testimony was this. She wasn't just a Sikh. She was an avid um, uh, disciple of that religion. And uh, she said, and she's done this publicly, I was the first in the temple every day and I was always the last one to leave. I was avid devoting to this. And all it brought to me was actually darkness. One day, through remarkable circumstances, the word became revealed to her. And she gave her life to Jesus. And at that moment, for the first time in her life, she would say she had a relationship with a living God, not with idols before whom she tried to, so hard to please all her life. At that moment, her entire family rejected her, removed her, would have nothing to do with her. And it was a terrible moment in her life as she realised the consequences of what it means to follow this Jesus. It has repercussions. And then after a while she met Adrian, and, um, uh, who's also Indian but from South Africa, and who was a wonderful Christian, and, and they kind of got married. The family rejected her again, wouldn't have anything to do with the wedding. I think it was bad enough becoming a Christian, but marrying a South African was just too much. And they just, they just, and so she's living, and five years ago became part of our church. So we've gone through this journey with her. It's been amazing because over the last five years, slowly but surely, through the way they live following this Jesus, slowly but surely, it's melted the hearts of people, their friends, their mums and dads, and people that are against them. To the extent that I find myself in a curry house surrounded by this family who have rejected Sukhvinda. Not only that, I'm invited to stand up in the curry house and talk about them as people and what's changed their lives. I mean, 
how does this happen to you? What am I doing in this curry house in East London off Brick Lane, surrounded by Sikhs? It's just bizarre. I didn't plan this. This was not on my diary. I don't know where my diary is now because my iPad's been stolen. But apart from that, <laughs> this, was not, this was not supposed to happen. I didn't plan this at the beginning of 2015. And you get into situations like this, and there's only one explanation. That the light broke into the darkness. That the word became flesh. And guys, we're here with all of you who've rejected them because you've rejected Jesus. And now you're thinking, maybe there's something in this. She's now pregnant, just a few weeks away from, from giving birth to twins. And this is, this, is, this is clever stuff. So at the end of my talk, I said, isn't it wonderful that she's going to become um, uh, a mother and they're going to have twins? And uh, all the saris and all the guys will come around. I'm very, very good. It's going to be wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I said, and what is more, when the babies are born, we're going to give thanks to God. That's the way I put it, okay? For the safe arrival of birth, and you are all invited to come. And Sukhvinder told me oh, that was really clever because when people are invited to come to something in our religion, they have to come. So <laughs> we are going to have a Thanksgiving service. And there's going to be a pack of Sikhs all coming in who totally have rejected. But the light of God and the word of God is penetrating their darkness because someone is a follower of Jesus. The response this morning is this. I must finish. You and I, if we truly believe that we're following God the Son, the possibilities are extensive and remarkable. The transformation that's going to happen in your life and mine, because we're still a work in progress for the rest of our life, because we're following God the Son, is amazing. Please don't get disillusioned with yourself because you mess up and you don't make everything work properly right now. Keep following the Son. Keep following the Word. Because as you do, you will be transformed. The lifestyle changes are going to happen around this room. The radical repercussions, the difference that we'll make. Guys, if I can be honest, just the sheer adventure of waking up every day and knowing that you are following this Jesus is just mind-boggling what that can do in your life. Jesus said, if you abide in me, I'm going to abide in you. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the way that your word reveals to us so clearly, without any shadow of doubt, the reason you sent Jesus to this world, the word of God, speaking and revealing and then becoming flesh and then dwelling amongst us. It's amazing that we human beings are sitting here today and we can claim we know what God's like. We really, really do. I want to thank you so much for, for your patience and your kindness and your unbelievable initiation. Everything that we are and all we believe has all come from you. It's extraordinary. There is no way we could, we could come to these things in and of ourselves. So thank you. And I pray, Lord, for every person in this room today, the great grand design of shaping our lives has got to be you and it's got to be us allowing you to come and take full control of our lives. And I pray for people today not just to be followers of Jesus from a distance 
but to plunge ourselves in um, unabandoned, just abandoning ourselves to everything that you've got for us, knowing that you will always do us good and knowing that you have a perfect plan for our lives. And may we begin to see the radical repercussions of what that means. If there's anyone here today, Lord, who doesn't yet know you, I do pray that journey will end in you revealing yourself to them. That people around this room today and beyond, all around kings, will come to know Jesus, not as some moral code or some prophet, but truly as he is, God the Son. And I pray for us who are followers of Jesus. We won't half follow you. We won't half believe in you. But we will give ourselves utterly to you again. And walking hand in hand with you, we'll see the most amazing things happen because you're alive and because you are, you are, you are going before us and we have the sheer joy and excitement of being every day in the company of the one who has come from heaven. I thank you, Lord, that you have pitched your tent. I thank you, you've put down the stakes. You're saying, I'm staying with you. You're the one who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you. I will tabernacle with you. I'll pitch my tent with you always until the end of the age. Hallelujah. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.